All right, good morning. Well, uh, look around. If you notice, there's more kids in here than normal because this is the fifth Sunday of the month, and whenever we have that, we do a family service, and we love the family service. We love having the kids in here, um, and I, I try and say this probably every time. Kids, I, I want you to all look at me real quick. Kids, do you realize you are part of the church right now? If you are a follower of Jesus, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, you are part of the church. Not someday later. It's not like God is waiting for you to grow up to make you useful. You belong to him now. He loves you now, and he wants to use you now. So you are a very, very important part of the church. In fact, Jesus would often tell grown-ups, be more like a child, right? Uh, be, be humble like a child. Be teachable like a child. So you are great examples to us. So thank you for being in here. And do you realize that in the Bible, there are a lot of people, uh, men and women, who did great things as kids, right? King David, before he was King David, he was a kid, um, and he, uh, he fought a bear. You realize that when he was probably like 12 years old, he fought a bear. Um, uh, he fought a lion, and then he fought a giant when he was maybe 15 years old, and he killed the giant. Like, that's kind of cool. Uh, Mary, Jesus' mother, you know how old she was? She was probably a teenager when she had Jesus. So my point is, you're valuable, you can color, you can doodle, but also... Listen, right? Because you are part of the church and this is for you. So here's my first question. Is the Bible more like a buffet or more like a meal mom made? Here's what I mean, right? You go to a buffet uh, and, and here's how you buffet. You go and you, if there's steak, you get that. But if there's potatoes, avoid potatoes because they just, they're just empty space. You can buy a potato on the way home. They're really cheap. Um, don't eat macaroni at a buffet, Again, that'll just fill you up. But do eat anything Mexican, right? Mexican food is awesome. But don't eat Italian because the pasta, same thing, it'll kind of fill you up. When it gets to dessert, don't eat the cake. What a waste. Grab the custard, right? Because you don't make custard at home. You pick and choose, right? You look over any fish, you you know, skip over any of that, right, at the buffet. Okay, this is how I buffet. But but that's how you do it, right? You, You pick and you choose and you go back, whatever. When mom makes a meal... At least in our house, and when I was a kid, it was uh, take it or leave it, right? Um, and you're going to eat the steak if that's what we get to have, but you're also going to eat the veggies or the Brussels sprouts. My mom didn't make those. Look, any kids here, do your parents make you eat Brussels sprouts? That's bad parents. Come on. <laughs> but, but broccoli, right? Broccoli, cauliflower. When mom makes a meal and lays it out, you're supposed to eat it all. So is the Bible more like the buffet where we can pick and choose, right? Where we can read through like, oh, I like the idea of grace. So I'll pull that. I don't really like what it says about judgment. So we'll throw that part out. Um, I like this Jesus character and he tells us to be good, but but he died for my sin. That means there's something wrong with me. Ah, Let's put that part out. Or miracles, right? We look at all these miracles, we're like, ah, those things can't happen. So we'll cut that part out. Or often, you know, nowadays, what the Bible says about sexual morality, I really don't like that. And the culture doesn't like that. So... I'll just like highlight those pieces with a Sharpie um, and just take that out of the Bible. As you know, I'm going to argue that the Bible is more like the meal mom made, and it's a take it or leave it kind of thing, right? We're supposed to believe all of it, and in context, but understand that this is all God's word, and if any of it is, is false or a lie, that means the rest is untrustworthy. And so this summer, we've been going through this series, say what? That's in the Bible, which it's been kind of fun looking at things. Is that really in the Bible, and do we really need to believe it? And so today is going to be fun. We are looking at the flood. So grab your Bible, 
and turn to Genesis chapter 3, and it's right at the beginning. So this is, this is going to be pretty easy. Open to the front page and then just keep flipping until you get to Genesis chapter 6. And the question here is, did God really flood the earth and save only eight people, right? We've seen that picture um, in Sunday school probably our entire lives of the big boat, right? And you have the giraffe and you have uh, the, the elephant on there, you know, all those. There's some animals you don't see that should be on there. Um, I get made fun of by Adam. He, I'm obsessed with the T-Rex, right? The T-Rex should be on there too probably. Um, a brontosaurus. Anyway, we get that picture. Did that happen? And if so, what does that mean? And why did he do it? And what can we learn from that? So turn to Genesis chapter 6. Now, we looked at creation. We looked at the fall. And those are big events in history, creation, fall. And the next kind of big thing is the flood. And so in Genesis, we see kind of this build up, and we're only in chapter 6, and the flood comes along, but a lot of time has passed. In Genesis 5, you see some genealogies, kind of Adam had sons, and you know, it just kind of goes down. And then we get to Noah, and we're going to start in Genesis 6, 1. It says, when man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw the daughters of man were attractive. And they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So here's the... Uh, the opening, right? God is looking at mankind and they are corrupt. They are violent. They are evil. Now, there's some difficult things here that we're not going to get too deep into, but the first one is God regretted. He was sorry. Like, did God make a mistake? You know, that idea of, of regret there is, is the idea of, of repent, but really it's more of, of being grieved. God knew from the beginning of time. He's God. He knew what was going to happen. He knew they were going to be corrupt and he was going to send a flood. He knew that. He knew he was going to send his son later. So it wasn't like God made a mistake. He's like, what am I going to do now? But it still grieves his heart when he sees evil and corruption and violence. So he's grieved by that. He repents of that. There's other places in scripture where it says, you know, God is grieved uh, and God, you know, kind of wishes he didn't do something it looks like. But God is still God. So what we see here is that it grieves his heart. Here's the other weird one. The Nephilim and all this, I mean, if you've never heard of that, this is one of those say what, you can go dig into it. Were these angels that came down and, and married women and had kids that ended up being giants? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, you can read some things that make a strong argument that that's actually what happened. And there's in the New Testament, you see some angels who, who left their abode and they're actually in a pit right now waiting judgment to later. Uh, maybe. I mean, it's so sketchy. I mean, I've heard complete sermons on just that one thing, um, but it's kind of one of those, like, we don't really know, kind of hold that with an open hand. Um, what I would lean toward as we look at this, and I think it makes a lot of sense, is that these, these sons of God here are godly people. 
those who follow God, and they start intermarrying. And this is a problem throughout the Bible and today of godly people marrying ungodly people, right? The Israelites, when they became God's people, I mean, God chose them before, but when, when they moved into the land, one of their great commandments was don't intermarry with the unbelievers that live in the land, but they kept doing it, and it caused lots of problems. So it looks like this would probably be more in that way. Those who are following God marry somebody who's not, and what happens to the kids in that situation, most of the time they go the other way. And so it explains, if that's the case, why generation after generation you end up with one person still following Jesus. I mean, look around at our society today, right? Why are so few following God? Maybe this is part of the reason why. So that's kind of the context, right? Then what happens? Look at verse 9. Is that where we are? Yep. <laughs> uh, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So then he's going to go on and give the instructions, right, of how to make the ark. Make this ark of gopher wood. Maybe you guys sang that song when you were kids, right? The Lord told Noah to build him an arky, arky. No. Um, well, he tells him how to build this ark, right? He lays it out for him. And then in verse 7, or in chapter 7, he's going to go talk more about the flood. But the first question, did this happen, right? Did the flood Happened? Did God really send a flood on the earth to kill off all mankind but, but eight? Well, do we have to believe this? Real quick, some will argue this could have been a local flood, not a global flood. Um, and, and as you read the wording and the context, you can make that argument. Um, I would lean more toward it's a global flood. Um, but again, that's not a hill to die on. But it's a flood, and did it happen? Well, Matthew 24, 38 to 39. Jesus says, For in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus. So Jesus believed the flood actually happened. Second Peter 2.5. Peter writes, If he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, Peter, right? So Peter thinks this was a real event. Hebrews eleven seven, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed the ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. So there, the writer of Hebrews believes this is an actual event. So if the flood didn't happen... Jesus is wrong, Peter is wrong, whoever wrote Hebrews is wrong, and all the other places it talks about it in the Bible, which is a lot, are wrong, meaning we can't trust any of it. So this is communicated as narrative. The other writers in Scripture believe this actually happened, and so Scripture is clear that God did flood the earth, killing all but eight people. So with that in mind, let's read chapter 7 and just look at this flood account. Chapter 7, Genesis 7. Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, 
you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and its mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds and of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights. And every living thing that I have made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with them went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Noah's wives, Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them into the ark. They and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature, they went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered male and female of all flesh went in as God commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land, in whose nostrils was the breath of life, died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things. And birds of the heavens, they were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left, and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Wow. Okay, there it is, right? That's the picture we see in Sunday school. I'm not sure we have it on our wall back there. But of the ark, of all the animals on it, the Bible very clearly describes this event and that it actually happened, that so many died. Now, again, this is a family service. Kids, you hear this story. A lot of questions come to mind, don't they? I mean, they do to me. How did the dinosaurs fit on the ark? Where did the water come from? Where did the water go? When did this happen? All those things. Guess what? It is good to ask questions. It is okay to read the Bible and go, I don't get it, and ask critical questions. If you ask the question and then seek truth, a lot of times people will question the Bible, really because they just want to not believe and they want to go sin. If there's things, it's okay to ask the question. And for the rest of us, it's okay to sometimes say, I don't know, <laughs> right? We can trust the Bible, but it's okay to ask. And so we're going to ask some of these questions and look at this. Uh, this is one of those great stories that actually is very relevant to us. So here's the first question. When did it happen? When was the flood? And here's the answer. Uh-huh. 
<laughs> we, we don't know. Now, some will use the genealogies, right, and map and map of this happened exactly there. Here's the thing about genealogies in, in the Hebrew scriptures and in that culture. They weren't used to tell time. They were used to show the flow of history. So can you do the math and tell the time? Maybe. But you can also make a really good argument that these genealogies are showing the flow of time and they'll skip generations for the purpose of, you know, people that would be remembered or, or things like that. Uh, and we know this because there's times where you can see two different genealogies and one will skip two or three or four generations. So you know that they're not always fully complete in that way. They weren't used for chronology. chronology. So we don't know and that's okay. Right? That's one of those, we don't know exactly when it happened. Again, that's not a hill to die on. Um, but the flood does explain a lot of things. Now, why was this written? Remember, Moses is writing down the book of Genesis while the Israelites are in the wilderness after they left Egypt before they entered the promised land. God is trying to tell them about real history and also things for them to learn, right? Things that they need to know as they're going to move into the promised land and be his people, right? And so one of those is even the idea of intermarriage ruining God's people. That's a lesson that they needed moving in. Um, but they needed to know actually what happened in the past, right? Um, here's the one thing. It was, we talk about time. Why is it that science, and again, Genesis is not a science book, right? And so it's tough to read the Bible and try and make scientific conclusions, but science is real and we can look at it. But why does science typically claim that the earth has been around millions and billions of years? Why? The main reason is that's necessary for something like evolution. That is why, and so it's kind of a circular thing. It's super old because we believe in evolution. We believe in evolution and it's possible because it's super old, right? Again, we don't know how old, but here's the one thing we cannot believe. If we believe the Bible, we can't believe that it's old because evolution has to happen. Scripture is very clear, and we looked at creation. God did not create through evolution, plain and simple, right? Some people look at science and they go, oh, it has to be evolution, but I want to believe in God, and they try and mix the two. We don't need to do that, right? Science is full of theories, and it changes a lot. I mean, right? Coffee one year is not good for you, and then science says the next year coffee is really good for you. I mean, that's one little thing, right? But science changes its conclusions. And so we can trust the Bible, but we cannot believe evolution. And so you kids, this is one of the parts that sticks out to me about the flood. If you're going to school, they're probably teaching you about evolution at school. If you watch any TV, uh, any documentary, whatever, they'll just talk about, oh, and this evolved from this, and it's been around three billion years. They just, it's just kind of assumed in our culture and especially in our schools. Well, guess what? Evolution is not true, and the flood helps explain a lot of those things that scientists look at and go, oh, it must be evolution. It must be really old. If you believe the Bible, the flood actually explains a lot of those things, and it's pretty helpful. So here's the, the first, or the, I guess the second question, where did all these waters come from? Do you ever realize there's two sources of the water? Uh, if you look at verse 11, it says, The fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens. There's two sources. When you read Genesis 1, it's kind of interesting. When God created, it says he created the waters, and he separated the waters from the waters, and he called the separation heaven. You look at that, it's like, what is that? It looks like... Quite possibly, and again, this is some speculation, right? But it looks like there was a water canopy around the earth, right? That burst forth and the rains came down. 
if that's true, and again, this is an if, this is why I'm saying the Bible, a biblical worldview, can't explain the things we see. If there was this water canopy, that means the environment was very, very different before the flood. Because then all that water came down, we had more exposure to the sun and UV rays, and, and I've read kind of stories and, and speculations, which is kind of cool, but if that's true, that would have meant that the earth was kind of like a, what's the word? Hyperbaric chamber, that's it. And so things could live longer, plants could get bigger, right? Uh, how were dinosaurs so big? You know, a reptile continues to grow its entire life. Well, if they could live longer, they could get really big. So, I mean, just simple things like that. Well, so the waters came from the heavens. And again, that's just speculation. What we do know is it came from the heavens. What we also know is that it came from the deep. The deep burst forth. That's interesting, right? The, the earth had water underneath, cracked open, and came out. Again, this was a dramatic, dramatic event. Uh, science, again, here, uh, the idea of plate tectonics, maybe you've heard of that, right? That the plates are moving, um, and where they rub, that's where earthquakes happen. San Andreas Fault, by the way, we have one right next to us on that mountain range um, that is moving a lot. And so that pretty much accepted science that, that these plates move around. You know that's only about 50 years old, right? Before that, they had no idea about that. Well, here, if that's true, and if these burst forth, maybe, right, it burst forth from the deep and they separated, right? That makes a lot of sense. If you've ever looked at a map or a globe, you're like, huh, Africa, and the Amer like things kind of fit together. Maybe you've heard of Pangaea. That could explain it. What if all the earth was in one spot and during the flood it burst forth and all that spread out? It explains a lot of things. Maybe, <laughs> right? I, I mean, we can't say that's exactly what happened, but if you believe the flood, it agrees, right, or it can explain some of the things we see with science. Now, where did the waters go? If the earth was flooded, where did the waters go? Because we know water is reused. It evaporates, it rains back down. So where did they all go? Psalm 104, this will be on the screen, 6 through 9 says this. It says, you covered it with the deep as with a garment the waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took flight. The mountains rose. The valley sank down to the place you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they might not ever again cover the earth. Now again, context, this is poetry. This is somebody writing worship to God, right? Glorifying him for the things that he did. So, again, this is poetry. This isn't narrative saying God did things this way. But whoever wrote this is remembering the flood as if it actually happened. And then he says this, you rose the mountains and you created the valleys during the flood. Again, if the plates were moving at that time, that makes a lot of sense. That mountains were created quickly, right? Valleys were created quickly. That's why I remember when I was a kid, I found a seashell. I grew up in Colorado. We're like 9,000 feet and I'm in the woods and I'm like, a seashell? How did this seashell get here, right? And then, of course, I probably asked somebody at church, and they're like, well, the flood, uh, possibly. That's one possible explanation. But again, what if it was during the flood that everything changed? That would mean the floodwaters are still here. Did you know that if, if we flattened out the earth, right, um, like the deepest part of the ocean and the highest mountains, if we just made them all level, the earth would be covered with water at a level of 1.7 miles, Interesting, right? So again, 
the, the floodwaters are probably still here. So again, science and the Bible don't disagree. We can understand some things by looking at what the Bible says. You know, again, Genesis is not a scientific book, right? That's not the purpose it was written, but it can explain a lot of those things. Kids, here's a quick question. I'm going to test your schools. Have you ever heard of the Cambrian explosion? Raise your hand if you've ever heard of the Cambrian explosion. Hmm. You're not a kid. Adults. I, I'm curious. Adults. Have you ever heard of the Cambrian explosion? Some. Interesting. Okay. So in, in school, at least our school, we, we learned about the level, right, evolution, all this. At the lower levels, you see these animals, and they evolved to this, and they evolved to this. And then there's a layer that has, like, all the animals, right? And they called it the Cambrian Age, where all of a sudden all the animals appeared. How did that happen? Maybe there was a flood, and it killed them all at once, and they all were buried in that same layer all at once. That makes a lot of sense. They all appeared right there. Oil deposits deep in the ground. Where did all those come from? Well, a lot of things were killed really quick and buried together, right? So that explains the oil. It explains a lot of things of how they could be there. The idea of catastrophe. You know, so in school, you learn how things happen forever, right? The Grand Canyon took millions of years to form or it formed really quickly. So things can take a long time, or catastrophe happens, like the flood, or other things. There's other catastrophes not written down that explain how things happened. So in school, you're going to hear the meteor killed the dinosaurs because the dinosaurs lived millions of years before us. Nope. Dinosaurs were created. Man created. We were on the earth together, and then we probably killed them all because they were scary. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Okay, so why, right? I mean, we're looking at some of those things, but now here's the question. Why did God flood the earth? Why would he do that? Well, God is a loving God. That's why some people will look at the New Testament. I like the God of the New Testament. He's loving. I don't like the God of the Old Testament. He'll do something like flood the earth and kill everybody but eight. Why did God do this? Well, how did the whole thing begin in Genesis 1? What was the great sin that Adam and Eve did, right? All they did was, was eat of a tree. They were told not to eat it. But God told them all, right, when God created, this is good, this is good, this is good. Then he said, but don't eat of that tree. That would be bad. Good thing is don't eat of the tree. They ate of the tree, right? They went away from God. They went their own way. They decided to define for themselves what was good. They rebelled against God. And as we saw already, humanity just went off the deep end, right? They rejected God. They went their own way. They did what was right in their own eyes. They became violent and wicked. And God must judge sin. Sin and evil are a big deal. I think that's one thing we have to take from this story. For, for God, sin and evil are a big deal. And in the church today, we have a lot of this, ah, let's not talk about sin, right? Let's just, let's just be, you know, good with the culture, whatever. To God, sin is a big deal, right? Violence was an issue. They didn't value human life. I mean, look at the world right now. Look at the, the rates of abortion and those things. We're getting there again. We don't value human life, but God values human life. Sin and evil are a big deal. This is kind of neat. As you read the whole story, God kind of uncreates and recreates. He uncreates what he made, and he recreates with eight people, right? And, and, and a new commands as they come out that are the same as they were at the beginning. Be fruitful and multiply. Subdue the earth. All these things. God is recreating. God is starting over. Why? What if I told you the main theme through here is Grace. Right? Oh, a good God wouldn't kill all those people. 
how about we look at it this way? They were all evil and going against God, and God is just and must judge, but God graciously saves eight. So often we look the other way. God, in his grace and in his mercy, chose eight to bring through the flood. The central theme of the flood narrative really is God's grace. Remember uh, in chapter 6, God gives the instructions on how to build the ark. Verse 22, what's he say? Noah did it. Right? Noah did all God commanded. And then in the beginning of 7, God gives instructions on getting the animals. Verse 5, and Noah did it. Noah obeyed, right? Noah had faith. There's the key theme. You realize there had never been a flood like this. Some would argue that there hadn't even been rain on the earth. I think there probably was. But the idea of this, right? Noah's building this big ark, and everybody's walking by, and it probably took him decades, some say over 100 years to build this ark. And he's building it, and all the time people are walking by going, ha-ha, knucklehead, right? But he does it. He shows his faith. He believes God. The message here is God saves the one who has faith. God shows grace to the one who has faith. That's the same message we find in the New Testament. That's the same message we hear from Jesus. The point is to trust God completely for salvation. And then they're in the ark for about a year. And in chapter 8, you see the flood subsiding, and you see Noah coming off the ark, and look at 8, 20 to 22. It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and he took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird, and he offered the burnt offering on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Noah comes off. Noah worships right? And then God makes a covenant with Noah. I'm not going to do this again. He makes a covenant actually with all of mankind. And you know the rest of the story. God gives a sign of the covenant, the rainbow in the clouds, so that every time you see the rainbow, you'll remember that God promised not to flood the earth again. And in that, in uh, chapter 9, I think this is important. Chapter 9, verse 6, we see some more instruction. God says this to Noah. He says, whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. God makes a point right there to clarify every human being is made in the image of God and eternally viable. So anybody that kills another person on purpose, that person should be killed. So capital punishment, that's God's idea, right? God came up with that. But the point is that life is valuable. And so they had gone so far off that they didn't see the value of life. They were violent. They were corrupt evil, but God brings one man through, Noah. What was the issue with all these other people? They had no fear of God. Think about that. They were doing whatever. They, they had no fear of God. They weren't afraid of judgment. That's one of the themes. Judgment is real. When we go our own way, right, when we reject God, we should fear judgment. But if we fear God and we fear judgment, then hopefully that makes us turn by faith to God and receive his grace. And God is gracious to forgive. God is gracious to save the one who will have faith in him. Because God must judge. Now, I want to end with, with Jesus' warning. Or what Jesus was saying. When Jesus referred to this event, 
He says this in Matthew 24. We already read it, but I'm going to read it again. He says, For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus' point with that is that they were unaware. They didn't fear God. They thought things would go on forever, no big deal. And the floods came when they didn't expect it. Jesus says that's going to happen again, right? God promised not to flood the earth again, but God is going to judge the earth again. Next time it's going to be with fire. And he says next time Jesus is going to come back. The coming of the Son of Man will be like that. Everybody's going to be going about business. No big deal, going to work, getting married, right? Going to school, living their life apart from God. And, And Jesus is going to come back. And all the believers will be taken, and God will then judge the earth. It's going to happen again. That's why we read this story. And and those of you kids in school, I hope you read this and you go, oh, I can be smart and believe in the Bible, right? I I can listen at school to what they're teaching about science and those things, and the Bible explains it. But here's the big, big message for us. God's going to judge again because evil's a big deal, right? Sin is a big deal. Have we, by faith, trusted Jesus for salvation? As God gave an ark to Noah. God gave Jesus to us. Jesus came, died on the cross, rose from the dead so we could be saved. God is just and good. Because he's good, he must judge sin. He did it in the flood. He's going to do it again, right? And it's either when Jesus comes back or when we die to go be with him. We don't know the time of our death. This warning for us is huge. God wants to show us grace. Have we believed in him for salvation? Because the end is near. (laughs) We talked about that at Revelation two weeks ago. The end is near. Do we take that seriously? Right? Kids, Jesus is going to come back. Are you ready? Have you said yes to Jesus? Do you believe he died on the cross and rose from the dead? And if so, you can be saved. You can be like Noah and his family. When the flood comes, God will bring you through the judgment on the next time. You will not be judged for one sin. We're doing baptisms coming up. And that's one of the questions I ask sometimes is, how many sins will God judge you for in the end? Some people say all of them. The answer is none of them. By faith, God will show us grace, and we will not be judged for our sin if we believe in Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that... uh, that your word makes sense. God, that as we read it and we look at the world, we can see scripture explains what we see around us when it comes to sin, uh, when it comes to the evil, when it comes to even nature. God, you are the God of nature. You created it. God, I thank you that we can trust you, that we can be smart and a Christian, that we can believe in miracles and be wise. And God, I, I pray that this message would strike us to our heart. God, that everybody in this room would consider, take a minute and consider, judgment is coming. But you have already shown us grace in Jesus. Jesus died to set us free. Jesus died so that we would not be judged for our sin. Father, I pray that anyone here who has not said yes to you yet, today would be the day. God, today would be the day when they confess, they pray right now, I believe in you, Jesus. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the dead, and I want you to be Lord of my life. And God, you would enter their soul. You would enter their life. You would save them, and then you would grow them up in you. God, we have this family service. I pray for every kid in this church, every kid that's part of this church that's not here, God, that you would raise them to know you and love you. God, I'm going to measure the success long-term of this church by how many kids fall deeply in love with you and stay following you their entire lives. God, that's what we ask. And God, I, I ask too that today would be the day of salvation for any in here who have not yet accepted you. In Jesus' name, amen. If that's you.
uh, if you want to hear more or you have a question or you want to say yes to Jesus or just need some prayer, I'm going to be in the back of the room. Come talk to me. And for the rest of us, let's worship. Let's thank God for his grace shown to us through Jesus. Thank you.